the southeasterly slopes, I think we're up to about 70, 75 centimeters of accumulation in total. So most certainly not normal. Welcome to Kelowna Talks, where we explore the why behind the decisions that shape your city. Together, we open the curtain and dig deep into current issues, plans, and policies that come out of City Hall. Thanks for joining us as we talk about Kelowna and the topics that matter to you. Hi, everyone. I'm Bob Evans, Partnership Director at the City of Kelowna and host of our Kelowna Talks podcast. I acknowledge that our community is located on the traditional, ancestral, unceded territory of the Silks Okanagan people. So, in early December, we delayed the opening of our outdoor rink, Stewart Park, because it was too warm. And then mid-December, it started snowing, and snowing, and snowing again. For several weeks, it seemed the snow just kept on coming. And then we started hearing from our citizens. Where are the snow removal trucks? I can't get out of my cul-de-sac. Well, today we're chatting with Gert Boss, our public works manager, to talk about all that snow. Welcome, Gert. <laughs> Thanks, Bob. Thanks for having me. So uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, you're Apparently you're relatively new to the city, is that right? Is this your first winter in Kelowna? It is indeed my first winter and it came with a bang. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'd like to put people in their jobs and you know put the pressure on them right away. Get it out of the city. way. Yeah. Understood, understood. And uh, where'd you move from? We moved up from the, from the coast last year. So uh, we just spent our first year here. We moved up in October and last year we got surprised by the October 17th event of Snowfall, right? So uh, yeah, we've been here a year. We're really liking the Okanagan uh, lifestyle. We're, we're taken to it rather rapidly. I mean, I've, I've gotten used to my 20-minute commute very, very, very quickly. Uh, and yeah, we love, we love being here. Yeah, it's pretty nice, isn't it? it is. I uh, moved it here is. from Toronto, G29 years ago, and the first commute we did, it's like, oh, we have all this extra time. Now what do we do? And there's a lot of opportunities in Kelowna to do extra things. So what do you like to do when you're not... Uh, Shoveling snow for the city. When I'm not shoveling snow, I'm uh, typically you can be, I can be found out on the lake. I'm still uh, very into spending time as much time as we can actually on the water and then exploring the lake and and just getting around town. Like you said, it's a new town for us, and we still uh, it kind of like got the exploring bug going in us once again. I mean, we're new to town. We like to explore the area, so we like to go for hikes and, and walks, etc., with the dogs. And it's uh, it's great to find all these new little hidden gems. Yeah, it's wonderful, isn't it? And before you moved to Kelowna and worked for the city of Kelowna, who did you work for when you were in the Lower Mainland? I was in the Lower Mainland. I worked for the Vancouver Airport Authority for the last 10 years. And then, of course, COVID hit. And I think that gave the aviation industry uh, a big knock to the system. I mean, I remember March of 2020 where like, we went down to 3% of, of previous traffic, right? And we saw it here in Kelowna as well. And, and that's just kind of like is a bit of a wake-up call to, uh, to the system, I think, and a wake-up call to many of us. And we kind of... Of like looked at that as an opportunity and said, well, maybe, you know, it's uh, time for a change. And here we are. Well, uh, we're happy to have you. Thank you. So um, obviously we can't control the weather. And it seems like the weather has been top of the news cycle in Kelowna and around British Columbia for the past nine months. As we know, waves of fire, flood, snow. What has this meant for your particular group with these extreme weather events? And has it been an unusual year for you in terms of work? Or do these events just part of how you plan your your normal year? Well, even like if you go back to the summer, the summer was even an event for us where normally would we would have crews out during the day and doing some paving work. 
Uh, but if you have any paving equipment out, when it's 46 degrees outside, it's really becoming an environment that is quite hostile to work in. So we had to start making adjustments like at the end of June already to kind of like the way we deliver our services to the community, right? So when we started looking at snow and started kind of hearing that the El Nino year was still in kind of like full swing, so a potential for a lot more accumulation than we normally see in the typical Okanagan winter. We kind of like started getting really early to make sure that all the equipment was ready, that we had uh, the folks on the various shifts so that we could provide a sustained 24-hour coverage. So it's been a, a long planning exercise to get ready for this winter. And for a little while that early December, as you said, December the 2nd, we had 17.9 degrees. It didn't look like it was going to go very much. But before you know it, we were at minus 27 and it was snowing. And like the southeasterly slopes, I think we're up to about 70, 75 centimeters of accumulation in total. So most certainly not normal. Yeah, the weather likes to suck us into uh, lethargy, I guess. And, and all of a sudden, then you turn around the next day and it's like, wham, That's here right. we are. That's yeah, right. absolutely. Well, let's jump to mid-December. And uh, as, as you just started talking about it, what was happening in terms of weather alerts? In other words, do we get our heads up about the, the amount of snow that was coming? So it sounds like you, from your previous comments that uh, you're tracking weather patterns and you're preparing yourself and your crews for these major events? We do, we do. So we have um, various forecasting services at our disposal um, and we kind of like look at the, I have to say the Central Valley is not an easy one to predict uh, the weather, right? And uh, so we work with local forecasters, but we also have a forecasting agency uh, in Seattle that kind of like helps us with the interpretation for the medium term. And I'm saying really only two to three days out, that's really the best we can do. So we actually have like a consulting arrangement with with these forecasts? Yeah, we have, uh, it's called WeatherNet US and and uh, okay. they basically give us uh, all the info. And when we require a little bit more clarity into what we're seeing, we're not afraid to reach out to Environment Canada, Mr. Lindquist, for example, or some of the local forecasters that have some of that local know-how that is ever so important for this particular area. So you're not just standing in the middle of a field and sucking your finger and seeing if the if the wa water dries off your finger. Yeah, no, we it's tried that once and it didn't go over very well. It so didn't go over very well. Okay, <laughs> good. I'm trying to bring humor into this uh, into this topic of snow and. Uh, I think it's been on everybody's mind this in this particular winter. So, tell us a little bit more of what's involved in getting rid of snow. We have we have a policy apparently at the city and. Uh, so is there a method to the madness? There is indeed a method to the madness, and it is indeed guided by the council policies. Like, um, So we have a priority system where we are um, providing a service of level of service where, for example, the major arterials within eight hours of a snow event ending, that those need to be uh, passable by, by a vehicle. And I say passable rather than bare, down to bare pavement because sometimes that's not an option or not the best option, right? So then we go on to the priority two routes uh, when that's completed and so on until we hit the priority threes, which need to be completed in a 48-hour time span. Now, as you know, what we've the biggest challenge that we've had, we had many uh, events in rapid succession. And what happens is when the snow event ends and we'll see, let's say we're in hour 24 and we're making our ways towards the, the cul-de-sacs, et cetera, it starts snowing again and our basically priority system gets reset and all the folks go back to the priority one routes. So if you live in a cul-de-sac, uh, we've had folks saying, hey, you know what, it's been four or five days and I haven't seen the snow plow. So all the events just pile up and you have to go to priority one route. We have so to go back, yes. You're you almost at the cul-de-sac and then it's snow and you have to go yeah, back to priority yeah. one. And yeah. especially since December the 24th, it was 13 days of that in, in, in strong succession, right? So very tough to keep up with. Well, I'm a skier. I love the snow. Um 
wouldn't say I love shoveling, and I bought you know a couple of machines this year to help me out a little bit on that because it uh, gets to be an issue. But how do you like? Where does the snow go? So I, I noticed this year downtown we had rows of snow in the middle of the street, yeah. and that's probably the first year I can remember in my twenty nine years in Kelowna that uh, I've seen that. Uh, obviously, you can't haul it all away. So, are there? What do you normally do with it? Yeah. So, I mean, I like to say like operations is where the rubber meets the road, right? And it's also kind of like we're the guardians of the triple bottom line, if you will. So, we can we can throw a whole bunch of money at it, and we can throw a whole bunch of people at it, and we can do that for a sustained amount of time. But we gotta kind of like take a balanced approach, right? So, if you look at the way the city has been designed, it's kind of like been designed to deal with about forty to forty-five centimeters of. Uh, consecutive accumulation. So that basically means that we can have 40 centimeters on the ground and it doesn't really mean that we need to get rid of it. However, once we start getting past that 45 centimeter mark in certain areas, especially the more dense areas, we have to get rid of the snow. And that comes with not only a price tag, but there is also an emissions conversation to be had about, hey, listen, besides it costing a lot of money, like for example, when we were downtown, that whole exercise cost is about $150,000, right? Wow. So so you'll still see certain areas where we've left the snow because that's the decisions that we make on a day-to-day basis. What's the value add in removing that snow versus the impact it has broadly, right? So we, we kind of like weigh those pros and cons on an ongoing basis and say, you know what? This is, is good enough for now, knowing what we know about the weather that's coming. So, for example, we saw this thaw cycle coming. So we say, you know what, we get rid of most of it, and the rest we let subside to natural thaw, for example, right? So it's um, it's <laughs> it's a difficult call to make because it's, uh, it's a lot of money, right? And uh, we just have to be um, very uh, careful with the resources that we do have and make sure that we get the best bang for the buck. Yeah, absolutely. I, I do want to ask you about the storm removal budget, but I'm going to start with you mentioned the resources. Tell us a little bit about your department, how many people you have working under your authority, how does that, how does that look? So normally in roadways we have about 50 folks uh, in, in both construction and operations uh, working around, around the summer. Uh, but in the winter what you'll see is you'll start seeing a migration where our department gets augmented with folks from parks, for example. We had a whole bunch of people coming in. Utilities. So these are basically some of the activities that we normally don't undertake in the winter and we kind of like um, absorb that labor into our labor force for snow removal. And this year, uh, at any given time, we had about up to 75 folks, so 25 people from other departments, helping us out with day-to-day snow removal, right? And that's how we can provide the sustained service uh, because it started snowing on December the 24th and we were in cleanup mode well until January the 13th, right? So that's a long, long period of time. And it's those 75 people and those augmentations that allow us to kind of like play with um, how how we can make sure that we can keep doing this for a sustained period of time. So th- these people are not out there with shovels. So do we have our own equipment or we lease equipment? No. So we, we have, have a big fleet. We have 35 pieces of equipment that are slated for uh, snow removal that get converted to snow removal, actually. Uh, and then we also have access to uh, the various units from the local contracting community. So, for example, we have six tandems on contract, which we used, for example, on Christmas Day. So some of the folks could take a couple hour break and spend some time with the family, either opening presents or having some dinner. Um, and then we also have access to some crews that help us out with the, the clearing of the cul-de-sac. So right now there are still, I think, six teams out there of contractors removing snow from cul-de-sacs. So we have a very balanced setup. So we have some flexing capacity, which is really nice to have. No, absolutely. And I, as you were talking, I was thinking to myself, um, 
about some of the controversial issues that I've heard around snow removal. And we've been talking about roads. As you know, we're pretty focused on active transportation in the city of Kelowna. So therefore, bike lanes, sidewalks, and we're trying to encourage that type of alternative transportation. So how do, can you help me understand, help all the listeners understand how active transportation corridors, sidewalks, and so on fit into your your management strategy. Yeah, so the active transportation corridors are, are kind of like set on its own. They have their own service levels. So if you look at the rail trail, for example, we have an event, uh, we have a contractor that clears that within 24 hours, and, and you can see it. I mean, it's in good condition for most of the winter. Where we run into some issues is, for example, certain areas on Ethel Street. We have a beautiful bike lane there. But the minute we get more than like 10 centimeters of accumulation, we run into the social dilemmas. Like, listen, we got to remove the snow from this particular bike lane to restore its service. However, that comes with a price tag, for example, um, in Ethel, to remove it every single time, we would have to burn about 300 liters of diesel fuel, which equates about 1,700 trips of 1,700 kilometers of cycling that needs to be offset, right? So if we know that it's going to snow again within three days and we have to fill up that bike lane again to, uh, to get ready of the snow of the roadway so that then we can come in and remove the snow, it's like, hmm, is that really a good use of resources, A, money, but then B, it's like, are we indeed going to see those offset requirements happening in that short amount of time? And then sometimes we do have to make the unpopular decision to say, listen, the Ethel bike lane is closed uh, because it's not a viable alternative right now, right? So, and that's, we don't make those decisions lightly. We, we weigh those because we know there is an impact and an expectation. But sometimes we have to make those hard decisions and it's like, hey, you know what, that's, that's a lot of emissions for 2.2 uh, kilometers of bicycle lane that sees a pretty light usage in, in heavy events. And it's like not the popular decision sometimes, but most certainly uh, the right decision to make. Some well, it's great because, you know, I'm sitting here listening to you and I'm, thinking, wow, you know, the, the whole public works snow removal approach in business is so different than it was a couple of decades ago. And just the fact that you're aware of carbon offsets and the, you know, the relative cost, both environmentally and financially is, uh, it's great to hear. Yeah. Well, that's yeah. good. Yeah. And we only have finite resources, right? And it's not just uh, the money and the people, but the environment most certainly is, is plays, plays in that, right? So when we have our discussions, for example, when we start talking about bicycle lane designs and all the kind of stuff, we, we try to make sure it's like, hey, listen, there are going to be events where we're going to see these snow accumulations. What are we going to do with the snow? And do we have options? Or can we come up with a winter cycling strategy where we can exist without the Ethel Bike Corridor, for example, for three months? Uh, and kind of like reroute some of the um, the traffic to the more maintainable sections of it, right? So it's kind of like we got to uh, weigh the pros and cons for each of these these kind of like scenarios. Okay, so have a vision. Yes. How do we approach the budget? What is our budget numbers? Is that a, f- a flexible thing? Do you have to go back to the coffers sometime to get more money? Do we just deal with it and then account for it at the end? How? What's your approach to to your your yearly budget? Yeah, so we, we try to manage the best we can. So we kind of like uh, the, the, the guiding principle here is the service levels, right? So the service levels dictate that we shall remove the snow within X hours of the event, right? So 
However, with those blanket statements also comes a little bit of flexibility, right? So, for example, if we have the P1s and the P2s done and it's Sunday afternoon and everybody's in on overtime, you will see that we sometimes will make the decision to say, hey, you know what, we're going to send everybody home and we will start again on Monday morning because that allows us to start clearing the cul-de-sac, still meet the service level without having to spend an extra lot of money on, on labor, for example, and it would allow us to kind of like flex our resources a little bit. So we keep tabs on where the money goes on a continue, continuing basis during the events, and that's not easy, uh, but it's most certainly for the taxpayers and for the city, it's the right thing to do, and uh, that's what we focus on. So when we see budget overruns, it's typically, um, so we've, we've managed according to the events, uh, and those uh, shortfalls typically get made up by um, the reserves that we have for snow removal, uh, but we try and minimize the overruns to the best way we can. Like, so for example, you'll see a snow removal where we physically truck the snow out. Those are, we know, very expensive exercises and we'll make those like, you know what, there is really no other way than dealing with this than doing snow removal then we will make that decision. But had we had 35 centimeters, we would have said, you know what, we'll focus on some clearing and some moving of snow around downtown, but we're going to refrain from removing the snow because it allows a little bit more flexibility in the budget. This time around, we didn't have that luxury. Right, right. And of course, we have uh, a variety of years and cycles and so on. So you're, you're amortizing out the your expenses. We try to, yeah, yes. Yeah, fair enough. Okay, Um so now we look out the window here on our 16th floor and the snow's melting. And now what happens to all that snow goes into the storm sewers? Are we going to have issues with flooding in our systems when we have this you know, huge snow accumulation this year in the city or what, how do we deal with that? So potentially, I mean, there's always uh, like lots of snow and freezing temperatures and then a, a, uh, an aggressive thaw potentially can have some issues, right? But like we said, we have a pretty good handle on what happens with the forecast. For example, the city has got, is equipped with 12,000 catch basins and, and our utility folks know exactly where these catch basins are. So when we start going into the snow uh, melting cycle, you'll see a whole bunch of teams going out and actually start punching holes in the, the windrows along the side so that we can open up the catch basins. We reach out to the citizens and say, hey, you know what, you can help by opening up the catch basins. And it's been pretty good this year because we didn't see an accelerated uh, melt, right? We only saw maybe three, five degrees, not very many sunny days in the beginning, which is good because it gives us a sustained slow temperature melt and it gives a runoff that we can manage, right? If you get... Um, Plus 10 degrees and straight sunshine, oof, <laughs> different story, right? So, Gary, again, we manage according to what the weather forecast kind of like tells us to do, right? Okay, I have, lo I have a few more questions, but uh, when I'm sitting here listening to you talk and looking at your facial expressions, which, of course, nobody else can see, it's like, this guy's into this stuff. Like, he likes it, he loves it, he's passionate about it. How do you get to that spot, Gert? Like, where did you come from? What was your, you know, when we had Sam Samadar on, I asked him if he played with little airplanes as a kid, but he, you know, he, uh, he got his pilot's license and he was into airports. So how did you get into your passion around public works? You know what? I started out, funny enough, as a, as a marine engineer. In, uh, and I quit sailing in, in the late 90s as a result of a very bad accident that kind of like made me take stock. And I've since then been involved in operations. I've been in operations in the food industry, aviation industry, and I just love operations because operation, operations, the art of operations is really putting a whole bunch of moving parts and putting that all together and kind of like uh, taking a step back and making it all sing like 
um, like what I call the snow removal, like a ballet, the, the denegement, de right? So it's it's the dance of the snow removal. And I think in operations, that you is a dance. You heard it here fo- first, folks. There you go. <laughs> the right? dance of the snow angel. The, yeah, the dance of it. the snow That's removal. Great. And yeah. it's just, it's, it's a passionate thing. And I think the nice thing about operations is like every little thing we do matters and you can see the difference, right? So everything we do with our team members, everything we do with the budget, all these little things just kind of like gives you an opportunity to make it sing, right? And if you can't hear it, that's okay. That's why we got engineers and that's why we got maintenance folks and operational people really like that little, <laughs> they like to hear the budget sing. They like to hear the, the team sing. Our like team performance is a big one for me. It's making sure that the team is well equipped, that it's well taken care of. Because in the end, without the folks in the seats, there's really not much of an operation, right? It's it's those folks that bring man and machine together, and it's just it's just a thing of beauty. It just makes me excited. Well, that's good, Gert. I, I, that's a great story. I love to hear it. So as we look to the future, uh, are these there's a lot in the press. Are, are, are these major storm events, weather events, uh, the new normal? What, what's your reading, your training, your, you know, inf- the information that you receive, and how, do we, you know, how are you um, inc- uh, incorporating that into your day-to-day or yearly planning processes? Yeah, I think, I think there's a natural apprehension in, in all of us to say, oh, yeah, maybe this is the new normal or maybe it's not. I, I don't know, but it's like what we see if we go back on the historical data, is it what we see now? So two strong La Ninas in a row, is that unheard of? It's rare, but it's not unheard of, right? So if we now start looking at what some of the climate climate scientists are saying, that the winters are going to be wetter, they're going to be seeing more events, I think we might just kind of like move in that direction that, you know what, the winters as we know them in the valley here might not be as calm as that they used to be, right? So we see the events, we might see some more big events coming in, in February and that might just might just be a new normal. So we most certainly will keep an eye on it, we'll keep an eye on the stats. And once we start seeing the, the changes in um, some of the historical data, and then it's most certainly a time to look forward and say, okay, what do we need to do? Is there any uh, differences in approach to snow removal and or plowing and or winter maintenance, uh, budgetary questions? Those are all things that we just got to keep in mind and kind of like refresh. And as the summer comes along, we'll probably get a pretty good indication as to what the winter is going to look like, uh, fortunately, right? So it's kind of like there's some telltales in there. So we'll uh, we'll stay on top of it. Okay, lots of uh, lots of events, lots of negative talk. Well, actually negative talk, but just how we deal with some of these, uh, these impactful weather events in our city. And uh, we're coming towards the end of our time here. And... Uh, give you the opportunity to leave us on a more positive note uh you know what whether that is just what you're up to departmentally or your vision for the public works or whatever else you want to share with uh with the listeners today (laughs) well thanks bob i appreciate that yeah i think for for us in public works it's an exciting time i think uh, having a winter like this is always a good opportunity to kind of like go back and do the, the post-mortem on it and say, how did we truly do and try to be subjective to what the performance was and then kind of like start looking at, is there opportunities to improve the service level, make sure that we get the best bang for the buck budget-wise? Is there something we can do for the folks?
to make sure that we don't burn them out? Um, how do we uh, provide a better level of service to the taxpayers? So even though it was a problematic of a problematic, it was a challenging winter. Uh, for us, it's exciting because it's a good opportunity to say, hey, you remember, we saw some of this stuff in 2017. Now it's 2022. So let's bite into that and let's make sure that we use it to the good. So the next time an event like this comes by, comes through, that we have some some opportunities to improve the service, right? And we kind of like that that continuous improvement is kind of like a new uh, a new mindset. Um, it is we, we do want to provide a good level of service. We want to make sure that we stretch the dollar to the max. So we're looking at new technologies. For example, in the summer we've trialed a, a pothole detection uh, system. So. Previously, we had an increased reliance on our citizens calling us and say, hey, there's a pothole at the intersection of X and Y. And now we basically have a detection system that basically at the end of the day spits out the report and say, these are the amount of potholes that I've noticed. And it automatically dispatches the crews. So there's a lot of innovation happening in public works. So I think the next two to three years are going to be a very, very exciting time. And I'll see, I think we'll see an accelerated level of innovation in this particular space because it's not an easy space to innovate in. And I think by tackling some of the challenges challenges we'll see some innovations that could potentially be very exciting well um yeah i i agree it's probably not an easy area to innovate in and usually you're attracting attention when everybody's complaining so you have uh obviously a, a bit of a challenging job and uh gert boss thank you for coming and speaking with the with me today and the listeners today and giving us a little bit more information on how you deal with uh, challenges of your job, challenges of snowfall, and let's hope for a great spring. Let's indeed hope for a fantastic spring. And yeah. thanks for having me. I really yeah, appreciate it. Yeah, thanks. Thank you for listening to this episode of Kelowna Talks. For more conversations about topics that matter in your community, subscribe on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. If you liked what you heard, give us a five-star rating and share Kelowna Talks with your friends and neighbours. If you'd like more information about this podcast and other big community conversations, visit Kelowna.ca slash community stories.